0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to the CTO studio. I, of course, am your host, Nikolai Walker, on the mic and in your ear with the content you want and the content you need. Now, Etienne is going to jump right in. I'm going to have him and hand it off to him because he's excited and we're going to be talking about communication flow for handling invention. So, E, you're up at bat. Here we go. Competitiveness,
1: as I mentioned in the opening, is often our ability to get things to the market quicker, to be listening to the customer more closely to rally the troops, reassign budget, uh, you know, that agility to, to say, Hey, you know, on day one, the customer asked for save to PDF and on day three we gave it to them and Oh, wow, this company is, is responding to my needs. Um, in in the context of competition, how, how do you how do you feel about that?
2: I think that if I had to point to one thing that is a competitive advantage, I would say that it's it's insights, uh, customer insights, particularly, and maybe even insights into needs, uh, more generally. So I think that there's a lot of companies that pretend to know their customers, or they try to automate the quote unquote feedback anything that doesn't require them to actually go and talk to human beings is sort of the standard. And I think that the reason is, is that, well, people are scared to talk to other humans, but also it's quote unquote, not scalable. And so uh, we can't just have meetings with customers. Um, I always like to point out that understanding our customers does not mean doing what our customer says. And so uh, (laughs) even if the customer asks for some PDF feature, that doesn't mean that that's what the engineers actually run off and do. Um, but the deeper that they can understand why the customer is asking for what it is that they're asking for, that provides perhaps opportunities. It, 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 it could be a completely different product. It could be that they're using your existing product in ways that it wasn't intended. And so there's a different uh, market opportunity there. So the more that we understand about what's driving the customer and their motivations and their aspirations, the more the product and engineers and marketers and everybody else can sit there and think, well, what's the best way for us to address what their true need is. Um, and so I think that's actually how you win, um, in, in the competition. Um, I, I bring up needs because I have this idea that's in my new book. Um, around uh, needs portfolio management instead of product portfolio management, or in addition to, but as a superset of product portfolio management. Um, and and what it is, is it's really taking that outside in ethos, customer centricity and putting it even further, uh, you know, to the core of what the business is about. So needs fundamentally don't change over time, how Different companies address those needs change. And so, uh, if one thinks about it in terms of what are the needs that my current company is building solutions for, one can then evaluate how those needs will be addressed over time. For example, uh, in Peter Dricker's book, uh, Innovation and Entrepreneurship, he talks about that. when the baby boomer boomers reached college age, all of these universities were like, oh my God, look at all of these kids coming to college and they expand all of their products and services because this is you know, a great opportunity for growth. From a product portfolio view, what that means is, is okay, how do we extend that? How do we continue to grow that? How do we make that better this year than it was last year? And what happens is that the next generation comes along and it's half the size of the, the baby boomer population. And yet we've got all of these growth targets for all of our products and services for this college age. And there, there's just not that many people that are that have that need anymore. And it's purely a demographics change type of thing. Or it could be that... Uh, you know, once the iPhone started addressing uh, a particular need or enabled us to address a need in a different way, well, then we've got to change all of our product plans in order to leverage that technology. So if we think about it in terms of needs, then we can take an approach that's a a demographics approach, a, a technology approach, or a, you know, even envisioning what future technology, what does nanotechnology maybe bring in 10 years to this? It allows us to you know, look at our our own products in terms of these different time horizons based upon all of these different changing conditions that we can start investigating today. We can do stuff today about it, but then we can also do something in two or three years. We can do something in five years and we can dream about what it might look like in 10 years. But fundamentally, the needs that we're addressing, sort of our core DNA, don't really change that much. And we can look at different market opportunities uh, based upon uh, who else has those needs other than our existing markets. And it just gives a more holistic view of how we might take all of the different aspects of our company in order to address these needs over these time horizons.
1: So, so that's very interesting. Can you clarify for me the, the time horizon? I understand the needs changing. What did you say doesn't change?
2: Needs don't really change. How the needs are addressed does change. But so like if you're, a, you know, people are often struggle with the terms like, well, what problem are you trying to solve? Well, you know, I'm a gaming company, so I'm not really solving any problem. Uh, and it's true. It's not really a problem, but they're addressing a need. They're addressing a need for entertainment. And so how how does our company address the need of people for entertainment? And, okay, so we address our the need by building these games or whatever. Okay, well, you know, where else can we go? Who else has this need? Is there anything else that we're doing that can enable us to address these needs differently? What's the new technology that's coming down the pipe that we actually need to keep in mind as we uh, evolve our products to address that need what are some demographic changes that are coming that actually might shrink the market even though you know our our growth objectives say that we're going to grow year over year but the need itself doesn't really change
1: That is fascinating. That That's quite an unblock for me because that speaks to what I said earlier, which is if the engineering is in the how things get built, as sort of maybe in the more negative light of a reaction to, oh, well, this is what we're building and this is, you, know, you guys decide how you're building it. In, t- in terms of the competitive advantage and this time horizon, the how things get built is obviously affected by invention and change and the future of everything. And so who better to have in those discussions than the geeky engineers who are like, well, I know you're using the ionic framework now, but there's this other thing that's going to project it onto, you know, thin air. And, and so that's why I want I want the CTO and their people in these conversations from the get-go.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, that's it's what R&D used to be, right? I mean, it was the research and development. And that research was really invention. But even if your business isn't in invention mode, they sure as heck need to be out there understanding what is being invented, right? And so there's the whole concept of technology scouting or startup scouting. And, and so that you know, uh, it, it means that we need to be involved in the community, the innovation economy or whatever, in order to know these things that are coming. And uh, and we can just leave that to the innovation group. But I think that that's silly. I think that if you're, if you're a company that's dependent upon technology, you know, as most organizations that have CTOs are, I, that's to me, that belongs in engineering. That's where the expertise is um and and so you know i think that innovation has been has been sort of this catch all bucket for everything that's you know on this far away time horizon and it never gets any funding and it never gets any any real love because the return on investment is so far away but i think that from a you know marketing ought to be doing that as well and i think that you know, R and D engineering should have their own time horizons, and and uh, corporate venturing is the same way. You know, what should we be investing in uh, this year and next year in order to allow us to capture more market? But also, what should we be looking at? What are the startups we should be investing in or thinking about acquiring that won't have return and in investment for five or six or seven years? I mean, so all of the different groups need to be thinking about these time horizons rather than just this innovation group where, where it doesn't really belong in my opinion. Um, and so for that to happen, then we kind of get back to the C-suite and the C-suite needs to be looking at things in terms of needs, the evolution of needs, the evolution of the demographics, the evolution of the technology. And that allows them to then figure out how do the different departments work together in order to, uh, Prepare the company for those different stages of growth.
1: Yeah one of my one of my friends used to talk about the R and D as really the quest for learnings, and the the, the output of R and D isn't necessarily the hot new tech or the product, but it's really just a learning that the organization can
2: use useful learnings. Yeah, I mean, so that's not to pimp my book more. But I mean, so that's like one of my five E's is, is exploration, which is... Whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, Brent. Don't start digging into the E's. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to dig into those in depth a little bit later.
2: Right. Well, all right. Well, exploration mode, is just the learning mode. And and that I think all parts of the organization need to be able to balance both the execution that they have to get done with their learning. Yeah.
1: So I think uh, to sort of uh, cap the the mindset slash C-suite approach is, hey, CTO, yes, you're delivering. Yes, you're building teams. Yes, you're optimizing the budgets. Yes, your your uptime has increased by uh, another nine. But really, all of that needs to be sort of boxed up and placed in the hands of someone else so that you can start facilitating, encouraging, and be part of that much larger time horizon conversation to see where we are two, three, four years in the future.
2: Yeah, there's the there's the the strategy side, and then there's the operational side. The what what do we need to do as an organization? in order to better enable us to do the horizon side, the strategy side. Um, and so then that's bringing in, again, sort of the learnings around, around Agile and other, other components of, of organizational structure.
0: Thank you again for joining us here in the CTO studio and we do want to say our seven CTO's peer groups are digging deeper and deeper into this content and sharing their challenges around the role of CTO so if you're looking for more information or want to continue this conversation join us at sevenctos.com forward slash call now we do want to thank Brant Cooper we will see him again next week I want to remind you that he is an author and you should check out his book Disruption Proof as well as always go visit sevenctos.com that book is available on Amazon, and we will see you next week.